Sometimes when you throw a PowerPoint together, you're sitting there checking the slides. Did I spell that right? <laughs> you start second-guessing yourself. <clears throat> By the way, I wanted to say, collectively, it's good to see uh, Steve back. It's been quite, quite a while, but we've missed him. Um, today's uh, subject I decided to talk about is uh, tips for a happier life, because I think all of us want to have a happier life to uh, one degree or another, obviously. As parents, we all figure out at one point or another that sometimes kids just need attitude adjustments, right? Sometimes uh, it takes some parents a little longer than others to figure this out, but usually at some degree we all figure this out and we know what to do about it to make that happen. But what about you or me? Do we need attitude adjustments? This is, of course, a rhetorical question. I'm the first to admit that uh, my human nature rears its ugly head on occasion, and I know I'm not the only one. As adults, we sometimes don't always act like responsible adults. My first experience with this reality was on my first real job, the stone-cold gossip, the bickering, tearing down of others to build self. It was all there in plain sight. And as a teenager, it was shocking for me to witness that coming from adults. I soon realized what the real world was all about. It didn't take too long. Unfortunately for all of us, though, these actions can be contagious, and we can come down with attitude sickness and not even be aware of it. So yes, to answer the rhetorical question, we all need attitude adjustments from time to time. Maybe now is the time for you to uh, readjust and clean off that social influence. Dictionary.com says the term readjustment is an alteration or correction made to achieve a desired fit, appearance, or result. I think the term readjustment, attitude readjustment, fits rather well here. We'll say today's message isn't going to be too, too long, but uh, sometimes too much information can hide the best information. And that's what I want to focus on today. My goal here is to give you a few tools that you can use to find yourself, if you find yourself, out of adjustment. To begin, let's analyze our uh, collective human society. How do we behave collectively? Have you ever stopped to think about that? The ramifications of that question it's huge, and it all affects us on a day-to-day -day basis. Compare our current generations to the World War II generation, for instance. Sometimes they call it the greatest generation. Sure, we could all agree we are softer, we're less patient, we have a less do-it-yourself, can-do attitude these days, and most obvious, I think, we're all less happy. This is a result of collective social influence. It's no coincidence that jobs in the trade industry today are being glossed over by younger generations in favor of more perceived intellectual jobs. Many of these trades are looked at as beneath us in the social environment because they're perceived as uh, servitude positions. Someone who doesn't have a college degree, for instance, is measured as uh, lower on the social status pole because they are perceived to be only qualified for service-type work. 
But the fact of the matter is trade jobs are oftentimes more pay and can be more rewarding, and many can uh, only be performed by those with above average intelligence. This is just one noteworthy change in cultural perception we see today, just as we see changes in family perception and what it means to be a normal, quote-unquote, family. The end result, however, seems to be making us less happy as uh, a society, regardless of your college education, and I might add social economic status. We live in a McDonald's me world. If you analyze McDonald's, I think you can answer our societal questions. You can see a microcosm of us as a society, the way they operate, organize, expedite cheap food for all of us consumers says a lot about our collective society. If we uh, don't get our food in less than five minutes, we expect it free. McDonald's has been engineered to fit us as a society. Think about it. Super sizes, kiosks for faster service, multiple car lanes in the drive-thru, right? We want everything now. No, we actually want it before now. We want it yes, or, uh, yesterday. <clears throat> Google al algorithms are designed to do just that. If they can um, perfect our expectations, they can give it to us before we even want it. But maybe that'll make us happy, right? We want our food now. We want our news now. We want our entertainment now. Thanks to smartphones, we can order our food and then pick it up without even standing in line. Grocery stores are now instituting online orders and deliveries. Squadrons of Amazon drones are being used for us lazy people so we can sit on the couch, order an item, and have it dropped on our porch. We have a huge patience problem, among others. We love convenience, the speed, the price, and I'll admit it, I'm guilty as the next guy when it comes to that. We are a product of our environment, and we soak it in like a sponge. But you know what? With all this convenience, we are less patient, less caring, less forgiving, right? I know you see it, too. We leave no time for conversation, no time to ask the next guy or gal, how are you doing? We get our food and seclude back into our own little smartphone world. But how can we change that? I like to cover two main elements I see that we can start working on to be more like the greatest generation instead of the laziest generation. The first one is your general outlook on life, and the second, how you perceive and treat other people, especially, I'm adding this caveat, in secret. I don't want to embarrass my daughter, Micaiah, but I'm going to. I need to brag on her for just a minute. Out of all the people I know, child or adult, she has the most positive, happy outlook on life that I've ever seen. To say she believes the glass is half full is an understatement. It'd be like saying the Hindenburg had a flammability problem, I guess you could say. She always looks at the good in people and has a smile for everyone. Sometimes I think to myself, how can I be more like Micaiah? She's hiding. <laughs> Quick question. Can the youngest among us be role models? I'm going to put someone on the spot. Uh, Brooke. She's always good to put on the spot. Can the youngest among us be role models, Brooke? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, that's right. 
I think Yahshua answers that question in Matthew 18, verse 1. The narrative starts, it says, uh, At that time the disciples came to Yahshua and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Yahshua invited a little child to stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself, this is the key, like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. You know, and go back. It says, uh, what really stands out to me when I read that, it says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, before we do anything else, before we keep the Sabbath, before we do any of those things, we're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven if we can't be like little children. If we can't be humble like little children. So there's a lot to digest there. I see uh, this really saying that uh, being like little children is remove that chip on our shoulders. Remove the hostility you have, and that's kind of built up throughout your life from maybe people that wronged you. There's all sorts of reasons why we have hostility. I see we're supposed to be welcoming. The Oscar talks about that. We need to remove our guards and our perceptions. We need to forgive easier. Yahshua's lesson here is simple. As we take on the world around us, we lose what it makes us desirable to him. That pure humbleness we once had before greed and jealousy, competition, and many other life factors took hold of us. So the question is, how do we get that back? Here's how. Change your outlook on life. Look at the positive in every situation and not the ne- negative. Be welcoming, be welcoming, be nice, smile more. I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. And this outlook will have a direct result on your personal happiness. Just ask Micaiah. <clears throat> Just a quick tidbit on smiling. Did you know a smile can save your life? pretty bold statement, isn't it? Smiling can trick your brain into happiness and boost your overall health. A smile spurs a powerful chemical reaction in the brain that can make you feel happier. Science has shown that the mere act of smiling can lift your mood, lower stress, boost your immune system, and possibly even prolong your life. So let's try it. Everybody smile. Everybody smile. I want to see everybody smile. You feel better, don't you? Right? I know I feel better. It's, it's a powerful thing. I mean, it's something that Yahweh designed. I mean, think about it for a second. Why do we smile? Yahweh designed us to smile, designed us to be happy. So when you're feeling down, you're feeling angry and unhappy, next time ask yourself, am I searching out the negative rather than the positive in every situation? Again, I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. Why do you think there's so many sermons on this? Because we, as people, as a, as a collective people, generally look at things in the negative. We need to turn that around no matter what situation we're in and try to look at things positively. There's usually always something positive in every situation. Oh, and then force yourself to smile. So tip number two. Actually, I chose this for Jessica. I knew she would like this. Not that I chose this about you. I chose it because I know you like the dog. 
How you perceive and treat other people, especially without them knowing it, is tip number two. We all lose that childish innocence when dealing with people, our personal situations and our trials. Sometimes it's understandable as uh, many people can be hurtful, disappointing. They let us down. And many times they can act rude and mean. You all know it. We, we all see it. So naturally, we want to lash out, put up a guard, defend our emotions. We essentially harden our hearts. Just go to any big city, not like uh, New York City, for instance, and you'll see what I'm talking about. People are in their own little groups. Their hearts are a little more hardened. They're not as friendly. You go to the country, you see a little more uh, people talk to each other a little more, and they're, they're more friendly. But uh, it's just the, the situation we find ourselves these days. Your heart will lead you to unhappiness if you're searching for just pleasures. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. And that's something to remember. But what about those that treat us with contempt? Yahshua says in Matthew 5.39, if you turn there with me. Matthew 5.39, he says... Uh, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. He then gives us a lesson on humbleness in uh, Matthew 6. If you just go another chapter over, verse 1, Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do... You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. This is the culmination of this verse, and I think, think is extremely powerful. We always need to remember this. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Think about that for a second. No matter what we do and how we act, we can't get away from Yahweh. He sees everything we do. This shows, in my opinion, a pure, giving, humble heart, not a selfish, deceitful heart. When we do things in secret, not for our own glory, but because we truly care. We care about Yahweh or we care about other people, depending on what we do. So back to dealing with people. Many people are unhappy because of personal issues of various degrees. Many have had terrible upbringings and very rough childhoods as a result of uh, divorce, maybe. Uh, many were not blessed with a strong family unit with a father and mother in the same household, and that's the reality of what many people go through today. It's not a perfect situation, but we do the best we can. Some put up their own guards and barriers. A gruff attitude could be a sign of this. This will be perceived by us as rude, not realizing it's a social barrier that they have set up because of their own, um, their own um, inner hurtings that they, that they have inner struggles. So what should we do? We should always give people the benefit of the doubt. I think that's one of those important things we should consider when we want to lash out. We can witness to them by our actions towards them, especially when they don't deserve it. Proverbs 15, 
verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Speak less, listen more, is what I see there. Verse 3. Again, <clears throat> the eyes of Yahweh are everywhere. You cannot hide from him. Keeping watch on the wicked and the good, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Perceptions and prejudgments can be a dangerous thing. The saying goes, before you judge a man, walk a mile in his shoes. With that in mind, I would like to share with you a poem by Leanne Freeberg. It's actually an older poem called The Shoes. You may have, you may have read this before. I think it's very pertinent to what we're talking about here. It goes like this. I showered and shaved. I adjusted my tie. I got there and sat in a pew just in time, bowing my head in prayer. As I closed my eyes, I saw the shoe of the man next to me. Touching my own, I sighed with plenty of room on either side. I thought, why must our souls touch? It bothered me, his shoe touching mine. But it didn't bother him much. A prayer began, our father, I thought, this man with the shoes has no pride. They're dusty, worn, and scratched. Even worse, there are holes on the side. Thank you for blessings, the prayer went on. The shoe man said, a quiet amen. I tried to focus on the prayer, but my thoughts were on his shoes again. Aren't we supposed to look our best when walking through the door? Well, this certainly wasn't it. I thought, glancing towards the floor. Then the prayer was ended and the songs of praise began. The shoe man was certainly loud, sounding proud as he sang. His voice lifted the rafters. His hands were raised high. Yahweh could surely hear. The shoe man's voice from the sky, it was time for the offering. And when I threw in, and what I threw in was steep, I watched as the shoe man reached into his pockets so deep. I saw what was pulled out, what the shoe man put in. Then I heard a soft clink as when silver hits tin. The sermon really bored me to tears, and that's no lie. It was the same for the shoe man, for tears fell from his eyes. At the end of the service, as is the custom here, we must greet new visitors and show them all good cheer. But I felt moved somehow and wanted to meet the shoe man. So after the closing prayer, I reached over and shook his hand. He was old and his skin was dark and his hair was truly a mess. But I thanked him for coming, for being our guest. He said, my name's Charlie. I'm glad to meet you, my friend. There were tears in his eyes, but he had a large, wide grin. Let me explain, he said, wiping tears from his eyes. I've been coming here for months and you're the first to say hi. I know that my appearance is not like all the rest, but I really do try to always look my best. I always clean and polish my shoes before my very long walk, but by the time I get here, they're dirty and dusty like chalk. My heart filled with pain, and I swallowed to hide my tears as he continued to apologize for daring to sit so near. He said, when I get here, I know I must look a sight, but I thought I could touch you, then maybe our souls might unite. I was silent for a moment, knowing whatever was said, would pale in comparison. I spoke from my heart, not my head. Oh, you've touched me, I said, and taught me in part that the best of any man is what is found in his heart. The rest, I thought, this shoe man will never know. 
like just how thoughtful I really am that his dirty old shoe touched my soul. You know, life is all about perspective. I think it's good to remember that empathetic saying, keep your friends close and your enemies... Actually, that's not the one I was thinking of. (laughs) Just kidding. Before you judge a man, walk a mile in his shoes. We may never know what the other person is going through. The problems can range from personal struggles to health-related issues, childhood abuse. The list could be literally endless. To factor this into our perceptions is essential when we encounter someone. Shall we say gruff, maybe? It might make all the difference how we treat them. It might make all the difference in the world how we treat them. I'm not saying you should take abuse from someone. Don't, uh, Don't think I'm trying to say that. If someone is vile towards you, then keeping your distance may be the best policy. But what I'm saying is lower your barriers, if anything, just a little bit. Give them a chance. I believe this is part of witnessing and part of being a true follower of the Messiah. The gravity of the situation is this. Your actions just may change someone's life. So in closing, I like to sum it up like this. We should always give people the benefit of the doubt. We may never know what they're going through personally and privately, but should always show kindness, ask them how they are doing, how was their week, can you help them with something? For some people, that might be their only connection they've had. We should always show kindness to everybody we meet. We need to go about our lives with positive thinking. Don't look to cut down other people, to falsely elevate ourselves, especially behind closed doors. Gossip only hurts you in the long run. We as an assembly can also take this to heart. When new people come here, um, find out a little about them. Who knows, you may have connected with a new friend. So don't wait till tomorrow to begin your new happy life. Start right now. Shalom, my friends.